Hello and welcome to another episode of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. It is a pocket podcast that we are going to be doing today. It is Marcus in the Darkest alongside my co-host and partner in crime. Ray Coob, how you doing? It's pocket podcast number three. So since we've innovated this, uh, we're now up to number three on the pocket podcast you want to spend some time staring at some mad buggers wall with me, Marcus? I do. And some really weird, surrealistic artwork that does evoke anger and rage and confusion. And a lot of shit. Like serious <laughs> as shit. <laughs> the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll is sponsored by Crooked Eye Brewery in Hatboro. Find them online at crookedeyebrewery.com and we'll be... Uh, Talking more about them later in this show, which is about the wall. We could talk about the wall in general, overall, for hours. But what we're talking about today is a pocket podcast about the album, The Wall. And that still means there's four iterations. Four? Four. Well, you got the original. And then you've got the uh, live at the wall, the Berlin Wall. Yeah. And then you have the issue of the shows from the original Wall concerts in 1980-81. Which were released about 30 years later. Uh, Yeah, about that. And uh, then you have Roger Waters and his rendition of The Wall, Indoors and Outdoors, uh, presented as a release as well. So four different Wall releases, and all of them are pretty damn good. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. The musicianship did not decline at all over the years and maybe even no. got better. Yeah, I would say so. And we wondered when we got tickets to see the wall on Long Island how they were going to be able to do this. And then we went and saw it, and we figured out how they were able to do it, okay? It still doesn't mean that in 1980 terms it wasn't a fucking miracle, really. Let's just say... That's another podcast for another time, talking about uh, seeing the wall uh, in 1980. But that's the uh, backdrop for the release of the wall in 79. It is an album, if you think about it in terms of its importance in the pantheon of rock, if you will, it's pretty damn large, not just for Pink Floyd, but for rock and roll in general. It's it's one of the all-time great albums. There's no doubt about it, and... It still resonates loud. It's as relevant today and maybe even more relevant than it was because it almost seems like it was written as a precursor to the direction that we might be heading in. And we're not only talking about the craziness that's happening here. If you look at what's happening in England as well, you see a lot of that. And Roger being British relates a lot of that to what he witnessed and experienced growing up. A lot of the wall is about and by Roger Waters, all the all the members contribute. But when the album came out, there was great anticipation. Figure, you know, that they had been working. We all knew that they had been holed up with Bob Ezrin making this album for a while. Word was already out that it was this mammoth undertaking, that it was going to be a double album. And so when you put on side one, disc one, and you drop the needle, and it's in the flesh, well, everybody goes... Well, that was the name of the last tour. So it gives you a clue of where they're heading. He's moving forward, but looking back, perhaps. And uh, then you get into um, the thin ice. And you're starting to get like a sonic feel that this is going to be different. There are a couple songs in. Nothing really is happening yet. Until they hit you with what would be uh, a repeated refrain, uh, Another Brick in the Wall Part 1. 
And then, yep. you know, the, the the song is like I think it's like three different versions on here. Four, and four, and four. Okay, you're right. Four different versions. Two on side one because they go into the happiest days of our lives, which is like a vignette in the middle of um, in the middle of another brick in the wall. The way to really play that on the radio, I think, is to play brick part one. Happiest Days, Brick Part 2. And if you really want to get adventurous, just let it go into Mother, which brings Mom into the category or into the story as a, as a character. Um, you're talking about Pink. Roger identifies with a lot of the subjects of his songs, having lost his father in World War II. It's him and Mother, and Mother knows best. Part of that is the war, which is uh, represented, I think, in, in, in some ways with the song uh, Goodbye Blue Sky because everything became gray and bombs and scary and it was no longer the, uh, the, the open eyes of youth, you know? Was Roger a child when they had to blacken out their lights at night, like turn out the lights, and they had that black window stuff covering that they had so that the Germans wouldn't see them? Was he a child during all of that? I don't know. I don't know 100% on all, the, on all that, but that's something we should look into on a Roger Waters episode. So you're getting into side two, and basically when you're looking at the wall, everything that's happening before the end of side two is what leads up to Pink getting him, putting himself behind the wall, putting himself in isolation in terms of the story, right? And, you know, you, you know goodbye to innocence, goodbye blue sky, empty spaces, uh, the stress and strain of uh, interpersonal relationships, however you choose to conduct them. Young lust when, you know, when it's all out there in the open when you're uh, younger and it's all new and exploring and... They start to take some things a little, get a little bit strange with one of my turns and uh, the characters imploring his, his woman not, don't leave me now in the next track. And then it's on the brick part three in Goodbye Cruel World, which is basically the point where the, the character Pink is saying, fuck this, I've had my fill, I can't take any more. Yeah, I'm gonna go sit in isolation and hide behind that wall and get away from all of you crazy people. I'm done. I'm done. Goodbye, cruel world. I'm leaving you today. Goodbye. 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 So there he is. You take off disc one. You put on disc two, side three of the album. And there he is. He's behind the wall. Hey, you, is there anybody out there? You know? And he's okay because he he's he's, he's he's safe and alone, right? Yep. But he's still curious. And is there never, anybody out there yeah, still? Is, is, you know, while I am alone, I still want to know what's going on out there. And that leads into the song Nobody Home. And then uh, Vera, which is about... Uh, Vera was a, a torch singer who was uh, well, singing the troops on from uh, the BBC across the pond and all that. Um, and then you get into bringing the boys back home. So it's a little bit of a nostalgia in his life. You know, and, and while he's in isolation, he's thinking about those times, right? And then you get to the epic. Comfortably uh, numb, man. What's that song mean to you? You know, it means to me an escape, I guess, that when I first heard it, I was like, you know, you get to sit in the dark, listen to it. A lot of times as a teenager, we would listen to this stuff. I was 14, 15 years old when it came out. And so we would listen to it in either in the dark or with headphones in the dark on the cool. shag carpet floor 
in the basement because we had a finished basement and that would be where the kids rec room was and that's where the music right. was that's where my albums were that's so. a lot like my house growing up same yep. thing different decade same thing yes exactly and same ugly shag carpet well we had tile <laughs> I don't know. I electrocuted myself a couple times. <laughs> so that's where you get, so but you get the comfortably escape. numb. And, yeah. and uh, it was in, an escape. In, in the time. show, I re- remember that lasting moment from the show that I saw on Long Island uh, on that very first uh, performance of The Wall. It's Gilmore standing up there with the lights, white lights all shining off his guitar. It's just beautiful. Just beautiful. So yeah. then we flip it over, man. We go to four, side four, which gets really weird for pink, you know? Mm hmm. This is breakdown time. Comfortably Numb was partially based on an episode that actually took place in Philadelphia uh, involving Roger not being up for the show, getting, I think you said it was a... Some sort of vitamin shot. shot. And, and and the afterthought on that is the show must go on, which is Gilmore's uh, almost like his coda to uh, Comfortably Numb. And then, you know, he's really in trouble back there, you know, um, behind the wall. And all these thoughts and things are coming to his head. It's in the flesh. And then Crazy. run like hell. You better run. You better run. He's on the run. And then the worms are coming and he's waiting for the worms. And it, I mean, this is all like dramatic music that doesn't get played on the radio a lot. Waiting for the worms and stop. And the trial, you know, it's just everyone in the world is there. He's The wall is no longer a straight line across like you remember it from the stage. It's encircled him in the videos and stuff. He's circled himself in the wall and he's completely isolated. And he goes under trial for all that he is and all the horror that he's, you know, he's brought into his world. And it's some of my favorite uh, work by these guys, um, especially Roger Waters, really getting out of his fucking mind. creating something around the concept along the line you're talking about imagery of fascism and a lot of other not so great things that have happened in this world all to draw it out and put a spotlight on it not to endorse it which some people seem to misunderstand good morning worm your honor the crown will plainly show the prisoner now stands before you and then there at the end, you're outside the wall with your accordion and a couple mates on acoustic instruments staring at some mad buggers. The end. <laughs> they thought they it was leave the you end. hanging. They do. They yeah. really do. And, and 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 there's I guess there's good reason for that. Um, because you have to have a message that lasts beyond the uh, last chords, and that is the wall's down, time to live your life, maybe? You know, the wall, you were back there long enough, you wasted enough time behind a fucking wall, come on out and walk amongst the rest of us, we're not that bad? How about that? It's pretty impressive. I mean, think about it. He goes mad behind the wall, and Run Like Hell is about maybe, I know at that time, we it was running from your problems instead of facing them because right. it's easier to run. And while you're running from them, the worms are eating you from the inside out. They really do. They yeah. fucking rip you up from the inside out. So then you stop, 
you have the public trial or the reckoning or the come to Jesus moment. Right. And you have all of that stuff tied in. And then, boom, outside the wall. And then I did it. move on. Yeah. Move on with your life. And you're left your hanging because where the fuck am I going to go from here? Well, that's the story as we got it. It's become like um, almost almost mm-hmm. Tolkien-like in its yeah. telling. Everyone who's absorbed the album knows the words, the way where things go. Yeah. They know where all the little shouts and uh, all the little weird parts are. So, mm-hmm. And when I say all, I mean this is a, an, an album that was number one in the following countries. The United States and Australia. Austria, Canada, Holland, Germany, New Zealand, Norway, Spain, Sweden... And only reached number three where? In the UK. What? What What were number one and two ahead of it? That's something you need to work on for a podcast update, I think, (laughs) for the the next pocket podcast update. Yeah, we're going to have to figure out what those ones and twos ahead of them were. I'll get that information. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's insane. And the relevance today to the music, the relevance today to the music is. It's it's just insane. And, you know, you mentioned yeah. fascism, but he also talks about communism in the Soviet socialist way, which is totally, you know, not cool as well. And he right. was not pro any of that. Nope. And his music has always been politically charged. And at this point, he really took over the band. Roger Waters took over. Yeah. He basically hijacked leadership of the band at this point. Which will lead to... Further discussion, I think, when we dive into a Pink Floyd only, like the overall episode, which we yeah. should. Maybe we should have done that before the wall, but here we are yeah. with the imbalanced history of rock and roll. <laughs> Damn it, we're not leaving. <laughs> I Get will used be to it. Well, also, uh, one other note before we move along here to the other uh, releases of the wall. Uh, there was a single for Another Brick Part 2 that was number one in three countries. Are you ready? U.S., U.K., and Norway. I might have that on 45. I have to go look when we get home. They're not easy to find these days. I might have it. It is uh, 23 times platinum in the U.S., having sold 11.5 million copies. They're 23 times platinum. For the original release of The Wall on the Pocket Podcast here on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll, and we will dig into the other releases of The Wall when we come back. The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll is sponsored by our good friends at Crooked Eye Brewing, located at 13 East Montgomery Avenue in Hatboro, PA. When you stop by, you become part of the gang from your first visit. It's really like a family thing, Marcus. You get to meet Paul and Paul, the brothers-in-law who started by home brewing with their chief brewer, Jeff Mulherin, who's one Paul's son and the other one's nephew. Serving nightly in the heart of Hatboro, Crooked Eye has the cure for what ails you since 2014, and I think that's a great saying. I love that saying. They have fresh original ales that make you come back for more. And, and you Hazy have Eye favorites. is back. He yep. brought back Hazy Eye. So get in there and check it out before it's all gone. But there's always a full board. Lots of fun, fresh brews there at Crooked Eye. But there's more to Crooked Eye than just the brews. Check out their website, crookedeyebrewery.com, for a full list of music events and other fun. Always something fun. Scheduled each month. So Final night in October. Always something happening. Ray Coob's final night included. Great brews, great people, and fun times. It's a full board of the fresh brews that you love right there at Crooked Eye Brewery. Next time you want a true craft brewery experience, stop by for a pint and make it Crooked Eye. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. 
Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It's a pocket podcast on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. This time we're talking about the wall, the album, which is really the best thing to just cut it down to talking about the album because there were four releases, Marcus. Four. 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 Well, somebody once asked Waters, Roger, have you ever thought about performing the wall at the wall in Berlin? And his response was one of those offhanded, well, if they ever tear it down, maybe, you know, not knowing that someday would come sometime not that far away because um, when they held the wall concert at the wall, which he kind of offhandedly alluded to in uh, July of 1990, uh, July 21st to be specific, uh, it was to commemorate the fall of the Berlin Wall, which had happened eight months prior to that. And once they heard about it, you know, they jumped into action, but it still took them a while, right? Mm-hmm. It was uh, performed that day, and it was released uh, a, a month later. Is that right? Is that August 1990? They just rush released this thing. A video of the concert was also commercially released. I think so. Um, that means they had people working around the clock for those 30 days to get. Yeah, they out. did, you including him. And there were some technical issues, which made it made it a different final product. So that it's not the exact song list. I don't think from uh, the original wall because of technical stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was staged in uh, no man's land, really. It was the Potsdamer Platz, which is now one of the most uh, popular places in Berlin at the Brandenburg Gate, right there next to where people would get shot for walking. They were putting on the wall. Yes. And Fairly poetic. Very poetic. And I'll tell you what, if you've, have you ever been to the Potsdamer Platz or that area? No, but I want to go. It is moving to be there. You feel that energy, both the good and the bad. You feel the people and you feel the oppression. They sold out the crowd. 350,000 people would be there. And uh, they opened up the gates that day to let more people in because they were all outside. They were just going to hang outside. And they said, ah, might as well let them in. They're right here. We have room. Um, it was the, uh, it broke a record at the time for paid entry into a concert. And Waters, by the way, put all his own, he did this all on his own dime. He put his own dough in the dough in this. 
which is putting your money where your mouth is, if you think about it. Absolutely. He had initial intentions to get some people in there, and other people heard that he was going after this guy or that guy and put their two cents in. And along the way, he passed on Neil Peart, I understand, and also David Gilmour uh, volunteering his services for duty. Um, but there were, it was a pretty impressive lineup. If you look at the full list, first off, they started with a concert that included, uh, Philadelphia's own Hooters. That's awesome. Our pal David was sickening, was there, and I'm sure he's got, he's got to get him in here for part two to talk about that and that whole experience of being there. Uh, who else played the band and the chieftains? Mm-hmm. And and that's just the beginning of the party VIP list, right? You've got here's the other performers that were uh, part of the concert, the Scorpions. Now, can you imagine how much it meant to the Scorpions in Germany to play at the Wall? Oh my God! And the fact that Roger was thoughtful enough to bring a band like the Scorpions into something like that meant even more to probably the people of Germany that attended. That's a huge moment. And there were German artists involved, but there's also some of our favorites, like your buddy. Thomas Dolby. Yes, he was part of the par- part of the party. So was Cindy Lauper. Yeah. And uh, with her connections to the Hooters, I thought that was a pretty interesting uh, thing Sinead. there. Sinead. Uh, Sinead O'Connor, right, right. Yes. There's all kinds of stories about there. Joni Mitchell's on the programming list. Yep. Uh, Brian, Brian Adams. Adams. Yeah, and there's pa- about Paul that. Carrick and Van Morrison giving uh, the show one of its classic moments, his performance of Comfortably Numb. Made it in the movies, been in The Sopranos, was in The Departed. Uh, and other people on hand were Tim at Curry. Tim, Marianne Faithful. Albert Finney was there oh doing gosh. stuff. We could do a podcast episode on Marianne Faithful oh, and yeah, her influencer, her ties to everybody in rock and roll, both as a... She's a muse, a, but she's a dirty muse. She's a dirty muse. And she's got an <laughs> album, man. The Truth, Bitter Truth is one of the wor- worst great songs ever. It's one of those songs that's bad and great at the same time. I know what you mean, my oh, brother in rock yeah. and roll. <laughs> Can we talk about the band, the house band for this uh, big extravaganza at the uh, Berlin Wall? You might hear his music every week on the Imbalance you do. History of Rock and Roll. First off, Roger brought Snowy White, who had performed at the original Wall concerts in 80 and 81, and he added our dear friend Rick DeFonzo. He had been in Philadelphia Legend as the member of the A's and played on all kinds of records, including Cyndi Lauper's She's So Unusual. Mm-hmm. And uh, Andy Fairweather Lowe, uh, Peter Wood, Nick Lenny-Smith, Graham Broad is the drummer that he went with over Peart, Dan Farber, Joe Chernay, Jim J- Haas, and John Joyce. That was the band that was the, that, the, the, the backbone for all the music and, this, and, then the, and the vocals that go along with it uh, there in uh, Berlin. So Wow. What a lineup. And the fact that he turned down David Gilmour and Neil Peart is just insane. They ended up releasing the original performances from the original Wall concert in London, right? Yeah, the ones performed at Earl's Court. 
Yeah. That's crazy. Why did they wait so long? They waited like 20 years to release those. Yeah, they did. I, I like the title, though. Yeah. Is there anybody out there? The Wall of Live, 1980-81. Because in the beginning, we thought, well, everybody's got the album, but we're, we're going to be one of the few people who is ever going to hear them do this live. And for a long time, we weren't wrong. And you know there's other stuff out there. I don't know whether the technical aspects of it didn't quite jive or what, but you know there's recordings from uh, Long Island and from L.A. out there somewhere. But that was to be, at least till now, the only release of that stuff uh, from those days. It didn't sell that well. Uh, I think it was a double. And it it sold 500,000 in the U.S., which is platinum for a double album. Uh, It was gold in the U.K. And it did top five in countries like Italy and Austria and Belgium and Canada and New Zealand. Uh, but it was number fifth top number fifteen in the UK, and its top position in the US was number nineteen, That's, which is unheard of for this music up to this point, especially yeah, right. Totally, that's very low for them because I think uh, Dark Side of the Moon was still in the top two hundred at that time. Forever, man. Like seriously, I think it was my, my whole life. Yeah, just about until you know the charts stopped mattering yep. you know, in the last few years, and it still every once in a while pops back out and then jumps back in. So. So after that, we were pretty sure that's it. They don't. That's it. We're ever, never going to hear anything like this again about the wall or see or see or hear anything more about it. And we were almost right for a long time. If you remember, Roger uh, started to do um, some solo tours and had developed and redeveloped some of the the uh, the visuals artistry from the Dark Side of the Moon days and really took digital surround sound to another level, which he'd always been a big fan of. Oh yeah. And then he took and he took Dark Side of the Moon out as a tour focus, and he did a few songs for the encore. But let me tell you something: so as somebody who grew up with that album and has it ingrained in my DNA, mm-hmm. seeing him do that was incredible. After that ends, I'm talking to Ike Richmond one day, and he says, "Are you ready?" I said, "For what?" Because he knows what a freak for, for the Floyd stuff and the Wall, especially I am. Oh yeah, he's touring the Wall, and I went, "Get the fuck out of here!" There's no way he's going to do it, or he can do it, can? And he went. It's happening. It was probably a few months before they announced, and then they did. This was like in uh, 10 and 11. Because yep, they did an indoor and an outdoor show in right. Philly. And they did I saw two both. or three nights in Philly at the center. Yeah, the 11-11 was one of them. Yes, it was. I'll tell you a story about that off uh, off the air uh, about that night, though. But And then after they did that run and they and they ran it all out, uh, they, they made a, run, a double back in some places and took it to a whole nother unhealthy excess. Are there any paranoids in the stadium tonight? This is for you. It's called Run Like Hell. In Philadelphia, they played where the Phillies play, Citizens Bank Park. The whole thing on a whole nother platform, another level of excess where the where it was wider and higher and better in so many ways. That's what I remember about seeing it both indoors and outdoors uh, here in the Philadelphia area when Roger Waters brought the wall back. I have a story about that night I'll tell you off the air. As well. Oh, you had a funny look on yeah, your face. I just remember and I was like, oh, that night at the Citizens Bank Park. Whoops. Some, so, some, <laughs> some things never, some things never, well, not, not what you're saying, but, but some things never change. Uh, when he comes <laughs> around to do these dates he, and he brings Snowy White on guitar, right? And he also has uh, Dave Kilminster. Um, um, and played guitar. He did the big part on uh, Comfortably Numb on those shows. Uh, he had Robbie Wyckoff with him and George Edward Smith. 
John Karen and Harry Waters, Graham Broad from still the Bruins, still on drums, yes. And and you see the uh, jo- uh, Joyce and uh, the Lennons uh, doing backing vocal, Kip, Mark, and Pat. Yeah. Uh, and these guys uh, did a lot of damn shows between uh, September 2010 and 2013. They did six legs of that tour. They did wow. ni- 98 shows in North America. That's like 100 shows. It- yeah. There was huge. What were they the first time? Like six? Yeah. Yeah. And then 91 in Europe, 15 in Oceania, which is Australia, New Zealand. That's a lot of shows for that area. South America, they did 15. Right. And a total of like 219 shows. It says here they did uh, at the U.S., they did box office in U.S. dollars. Yeah. Four hundred fifty-eight million dollars. Wow. And it was it was uh, the thing that was amazing about that was that they were there in 11-11 and then we thought wow this was great that we got to see this and then they announced they were doing the outdoor ballpark thing and they were back that following summer july 14th 2012 my personal best steel day i'll just say that all right that show was incredible at citizens bank park that night and then the and the shows at the uh, wells fargo center were exceptional just the sound was perfect before we get out of the pocket, we better get rocking in here on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. Brought to you by Crooked Eye Brewing in the heart of Hapro. They've got the cure for what ails you since 2014. Dude, we like to get bongosophical. We yes, like to do. ramble on, but we really got to go. Oh, man, I could talk about the wall for hours. Well, we still have to go, Marcus. I'm sorry. Tell the folks how they can be in touch. Well, you can reach us on Facebook, Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, Twitter, Imbalanced Histo. Minus the RY. Come on, Twitter. Give us the RY. We Why can't we get an RY? Or you can email us, imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. You can also find us at imbalancedhistory.com. Or you can find us at our home base on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Sweet. That'll have to do it till the next time. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. And you're listening to the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.